This is the Daily Signal podcast for Monday, January 9th. I'm Virginia Allen. America is suffering from an illness that is not a virus. It's a pandemic of fatherlessness. That's according to Chris Valentin, pastor, speaker, podcast host, and author of the new book, Uprising, the epic battle for the most fatherless generation in history. The results of fatherlessness in America are devastating. Valentin says that a link can be drawn between the 51% of children in America born out of wedlock to the rise in gender confusion, youth suicide, and high school dropout rates. Valentin joins me on the show today to discuss how we can trace many issues within society today to this lack of fatherlessness in the home, and he also offers solutions to this pandemic. Stay tuned for our conversation after this. Looking for quick conservative policy solutions to current issues from America's outpost here in Washington? Sign up for Heritage's weekly newsletter, The Agenda. You'll get top conservative research, a rundown of important events happening here at Heritage that you can watch online, and hot takes from our experts. Sign up at heritage.org agenda or at the link in the show notes. Arguably the greatest crisis in this generation is that of fatherlessness. It's an issue that honestly affects every single sphere of society. Pastor Chris Valentin's new book, Uprising, the epic battle for the most fatherless generation in history, addresses the crisis of fatherlessness, but also offers some really practical and powerful solutions for how we can overcome these challenges. And Pastor Chris joins us now. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me on. Well, Pastor Chris, I I know that those who are familiar with Bethel Church in Redding, California, some of them have maybe heard your story. Um, But if you wouldn't mind, just take a few minutes to share a little bit about your relationship with your own father, um, his passing, and how that affected you as a child. Yeah, well, my my mother got pregnant with me in 1954 out of wedlock, which in those days, which, you know, was connected to tons of shame. And my mother and father uh, eloped, and my, three years later, my father drowned. So my mother was left with a 18-month-old daughter and a three-year-old son. And two years later, and give me the quick story, two years later, my mother remarried to a very violent uh, man who, um, who um, yeah, he was violent. I can give you details, but grew up in a very violent home with an alcoholic. And uh, she was married to him for eight years and then divorced him. And two years later, didn't learn and married another violent man. And uh, so that's kind of our upbringing. I moved out when I was 17. I had an encounter with the Lord when I was 15. My mother was covered with psoriasis all over her, her own body. And I didn't, I wasn't raised to, I wasn't raised as, you know, like not believing God. I just, there was just no really religious upbringing whatsoever spiritual upbringing, I would really say now. When I was 15, I said out loud, if there's a God, if you heal my mother, I'll find out who you are and serve you the rest of my life. And an audible voice said, my name is Jesus Christ, and you have what you requested. And um, the next morning, my mother woke up with completely well from psoriasis, and the voice came back again and said, my name is Jesus Christ. He said, if I healed your mother, you'd serve me, and I'm waiting. So that started my journey. When I was 18, I actually found the Lord and with my girlfriend, now wife, wife of 47 years. So that's kind of the quick, the very quick three minute 
update of my life. Yeah, no, thank you so much for sharing that. Well, with your own personal story and then with the years, decades of ministry that you've done, you've watched a lot of young people kind of go through various challenges in life. And you've also had the opportunity um, to serve in multiple different communities. And something that you speak very openly about that you've encountered over and over and over um, is young people who are growing up without fathers, the impacts of that. And especially in current culture and society, um, your book addresses you know, what we've observed in recent years in the impacts of this increase of fatherlessness on society. So if you would talk a little bit about how we got here. I mean, we're living in a point in time where uh, where one in four kids in America are growing up without a father in the home. And when you say that, you can almost be numb to that, uh, yeah. And which I think is also shocking. Like, how did we get to this place where one, that's a factor, but then also society is kind of numb to the issue of fatherlessness? Well, yeah, you're right. 51% of all children in America right now are born out of wedlock. 51%. I mean, just, just, just for contrast, in 1950, 4% of Americans were born out of wedlock. So think about, you want to talk about pandemic. This is a pandemic of fatherlessness. And what's, you know, what's, you know, what that, what we need to realize is that we live in the most fatherless generation in the history, in the history of, of the modern world, at least since we've been keeping track of statistics in which our fathers are alive, but not home. And that has never happened in modern culture. In other words, we've had more fatherless generations in history, like during the Civil War, but our fathers died in war. So, um, but you know, what, what what happened is, you know, well, first of all, depends on how far back we want to trace, but this exponential growth of fatherlessness is really was birthed primarily, or maybe we could say, tracked primarily through the sexual revolution when you know the theme of the uh, theme song of crosby stills nash and young was uh it can't be with the one you love love the one you're with and basically it just said have sex with whoever you want um don't worry about commitment it's all about how you feel um there, there's you know you know there's no responsibility and that that and that's that seeded this or maybe it accelerated this culture of no responsibility. Hmm. And then we had in our school system, well, Darwinism was introduced in our school systems in 1920, but it never actually got any traction until the sexual revolution when people were living like hell and didn't want to answer to heaven. And so the Darwinism gave people the ability to have, if, if you will, a clean conscience from the standpoint of there would be no creator to answer to. Like you are, uh, you are evolutionized amoeba, or you are depending on what kind of evolution you believe in, you are a uh, evolutionized ape, and um, you actually, and actually there is no real creator. You, you're a chance, and and part of what happened in that is not only did you not answer to a creator, but you don't have a divine destiny. If you're, you know, you're a cosmic burp, you're, a, you're the, you know, the strongest of the, the, the fittest of the, uh, 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 of a species. Um, you, you don't actually have an eternity. You actually have, not, you know, it's like, why not, you know, why not, um, why not party it up, you know, because you have, you have nobody to answer to. And all of these, there's lots of other things that happen in, in that. Uh, and now we have, you know, the influence of homosexuality, transgenderism, 
and we have this whole um, idea uh, when we when we um, embrace gay marriage and talking about it as a nation and as the nations what we what we did what we may not have realized what we were actually doing as far as uh, as a glo- as a global expression uh, what we said is that you can have two mommies and two daddies because mommies and daddies are interchangeable so now so now we have another dynamic that's working in fatherlessness in that we don't even keep i don't know if you know this virginia but we don't keep father statistics anymore mm-hmm. like after 2017 you the government doesn't even release statistics about fatherlessness because we don't actually need a father because mothers and fathers are interchangeable. So now you have toxic masculinity. You have, you have the the masculine uh, women, you have toxic masculinity in men. You're feminizing the generation. Anyway, a lot to say, sorry for taking that much time, but that's, that's where we're at. Yeah. Well, no, it's, it's a big problem. It really is. Now, what is the actual effect when, when we look at what happens to a little boy when he's growing up and he doesn't have a dad present who's involved with his life? What are the implications on that little boy's life? Let me give you some statistical implications so that we can look at statistics and then move backwards. So 90% of all, uh, no, I'm sorry, 75% of all inmates who grew up without a father, all, all, 75% of all inmates grew up without a father. Just 63% of all youth suicides come from fatherless homes. So five, you're five times more likely to commit suicide if you don't have a dad. You're, uh, here's another one. You're 32 times more likely to be homeless if you don't have a dad. Mm-hmm. 32 times more likely. You are, here, here's another one. You're 20 times more likely to show this uh, behavior disorder if you don't have a dad. Wow. You're, you're, this, is, this is a huge one. You are, you are uh, 14 times more likely to rape a woman if you don't mm-hmm. have a dad. And I'll give you this last one. You're 71% more likely to drop out of school. You're, I'm sorry, 71% of all high school uh, dropouts are from home, from uh, fatherless homes. That's nine times, you're nine times more likely to drop out of school if you if you don't have a dad. So these are the side effects of fatherlessness. Like nobody's talking about this. Mm-hmm. Like nobody's talking, like if you look, you don't have to be a Christian. Like if you look at the statistics and you realize what's happening, you would wonder why every 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 spiritual leader, every political leader, every government leader, every teacher isn't saying we have a pandemic on our hands and it's not it's not just a biological virus. Mm-hmm. It is a spiritual and social virus that is destroying, really destroying a generation. Wow. Well, and one of the outgrowths of that that I was really glad to see that you went ahead and tackled in the book, because it might be one of the most controversial elements that you do tackle is in chapter three, you argue that fatherlessness has led to this rise in gender confusion that we're seeing. Absolutely. Talk a little bit about that. Why do you think that is? Well, there, there, I, do, I think I do a really good job in chapter three that it probably won't do in two minutes. But let me just give you just an overview of it. What happens when, uh, first of all, what happens psychologically, spiritually, and mentally to a woman who's been abandoned by a father? I'm talking about the, the mother. She's been abandoned. There, there are there are some rare cases where these things aren't true. What I'm about to say, but first of all, they 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 have a view of of men, right? They've been abandoned. Maybe they have one kid, two kids, three kids. Uh, lots of women. It's very common for women to think I'm going to get pregnant, and this man is this man, wh- whether he married me or not, this man is going to be committed to me because we have children together. 
But what she finds is she's betrayed and that he leaves and he's maybe, you know, he's a, he's an alley cat. He's got, so what is mom's view of men? Now children, now she has a child or maybe two or three daughters and sons. First of all, son has never seen healthy love between a man and woman because mom doesn't have a man and mom is tainted mom is angry mom is bitter with men and she's raising me is mom trying to feminize me no but it takes a mother to give birth to a boy but it takes a father to give birth to a man she she can she you can you can teach what what you aren't but you can only impart who you are mm. so so mom can't make a man she can make a boy but she can't make a man and now she's and now she is she's upset with men right she's like men are irresponsible men are this men are that so what does boy what is boy raised in not only do i not have a role model but i actually have a tainted mom does not like masculine men mm. This is the boy, right? This is the boy. And I, I don't know how to relate to women as lovers because I've not seen my father relate to my mother as a lover. Mm. So when I'm, when I'm looking for love, I'm, I'm, relating to, I'm relating to love as sisters and mothers, but not as lovers, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, then, and then the daughter has the same issue because she's never related to to a masculine man. She's only related to a feminine woman. So how does she learn how to relate to someone she's not? All of this is, and, and by the way, I do a lot better job in chapter three talking through this, but all of this is leading to it. Like if you looked at the, all of the facts of culture, you would, and you were, let's say you were an alien and you were doing, you know, there's such things as aliens, which I don't, no, there is, but and you were you were doing a study on on human behavior, like we study rats. You would say, this is going to lead to same sex attraction, because I am my because I have been raised to not to not like or trust men. Mm -hmm. This is feeding homosexuality. It's feeding transgenderism. The second thing I'll say is this: is that your dad gives you your identity. Think about it. His sperm determines your your sex, and you typically take on the, the last name of the husband when you get married in almost every culture. It's a prophetic declaration that, that fathers bring identity. Now, they're not the only identifier, of course, but they're the primary identifier. This is what's, what, what's happening in culture when I don't even know what sex I am is the ultimate identity crisis. So I think that I think that it's, this fatherlessness is feeding an entire generation of dysfunction. Now it, it's really easy to look at the problem and get a little bit overwhelmed. And you know the obvious solution is okay. We need we need good fathers back in the home who are present, who know how to raise their kids well, love their kids well. Unfortunately, it, it's not that simple. We can't just snap our fingers and have that. What needs to happen in order to bring dads back into the homes so that they can be a part of that journey uh, in in the lives of sons, of moving them from being boys to being men? I think one is a great question, by the way. And we try to handle that the second 
chapter of the book, I mean the second half of the book, to say, okay, what are the solutions? Because here's here's the crisis. What's the solution? And first of all, I want to say it took us 70 years to get here. Okay, this didn't. We didn't get here overnight. It took us 70 years, 50 strong years, 70 years total. So there's there's not a magic pill. We're going to take this pill. We're going to vote for this person. We're going to have this president. We're going to have this governor. And thank God we're good. We're going to change this law. That's going to solve the problem. No, we have to migrate back. And by the way, I believe we're in a Malachi moment where Malachi prophesied in Malachi 4. In the last days, I'm going to send Elijah the prophet, and he's going to restore the hearts of fathers to sons and daughters, hearts of sons and daughters to fathers. So we are, right now, what we're doing is we're beginning to agree with heaven's movement, which is, the Mal- we call it the Malachi mandate. But it's beginning with, you know, Isaiah 58, you're taking the fathers into your home. You know, Isaiah 61, the broken are becoming the influencers of culture and restoring broken broken cities and the foundations of cities. So, you know, it begins with all of us who are fathers, who can, um, who can reach out and say, I, I can, you know, I can coach a soccer team. I can, I can be, uh, you know, I can be a mentor to, uh, you know, to, to boys and, and actually girls too. Um, you know, we, we, uh, Kathy and I, we had a ministry for five years. I call it a ministry. It was, it was secular where we had over 120 kids on the on an average uh, on an average day twice a week for 5 years and we played basketball and volleyball with them and we had a halftime where we taught them life skills and mm-hmm. we taught them biblical principles sometimes we taught them right out of the bible and uh, out of those kids I had one kid who had a father at home one mm-hmm. out of 120 kids one in f- in 5 years and so, you know, this is the problem. And so we became a father and a mother. We became a family. Can I say we became a family to a bunch of orphans and it was powerful and profound and we loved it. They, you know, at first didn't like us, but, you know, they, they didn't know how to handle boundaries, but they fell in love with us and we, we were with them a lot of years. So I think that, you know, uh, you know, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, all these are these are all organizations that, you know, over over you know the last 150 years have become surrogate fathers and mothers to culture. And I think they're incredibly important right now. Yeah. Now, when when we talk about that shift and that change, um, one of the things that you talk about towards uh, the end of the book, Uprising, is the importance of legacy and inheritance. And that's something that's not talked about too much in culture or in society, that importance of actually thinking about the next generation and what am I leaving for my kids, for my grandkids, and even for people in my community who I'm not related to, but like you and Kathy did, who I'm mentoring. Um, What is the role? How how should we be thinking about legacy as we're making choices in our life? Virginia, you know, we got to remember that we're growing up in a global orphanage, a virtual global orphanage. So, you know, Proverbs says the righteous man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And, you know, and the Bible's teaching us to live future present, that we actually, that God actually has a plan for a future for us, to give us a future and a hope. And so, you know, the the, the other thing that, that I'll say that I didn't mention, I don't think in the book, at least not, I didn't highlight, is the suicide rate among people right now is astronomical. It's the number one killer among young, young people right now. And when you take away uh, legacy, you take away the hope for the future. 
When we take away the hope for the future, pe people live in despair. And so I think that it's important for us to think about how our life is affecting the coming generations. Mm -hmm. And um, I had an encounter, which we don't have time to talk about, but where I was literally in a vision taken 100 years in the future. And the, uh, the outcome of that, when I came out of that, and the outcome of that was God was saying, said to me, I want you to stop your ministry and live for a legacy. I want you to live for a generation that you will never see. Mm. And so I think that it's it's incumbent upon us. It is, it is of paramount importance that we live for something beyond ourselves. Mm -hmm. Think about how many of our forefathers and mothers died for it. I mean, they literally went to war because they believed that if they laid their life down on a battlefield, it would make it better for another generation. Like, it is... It is in our DNA as Americans, especially, for us to lay down our life for the next generation. And, uh, you know, I, I think there's the ch some of the challenge we have right now is is that we, we live in an instant gratification, you know, generation. And we, we have forgotten that people bled to give us this freedom. Like you and I have, you know, we have religious freedom right now. Like we're talking about Jesus Christ. Somebody paid for that. Somebody, some buddies paid for us to have this conversation without fear of, of demise or, or rebuttal. Uh, we have rebuttals, but we, we don't have demise. We don't have, mm -hmm. we're not going to prison because we're, we're talking about sexuality, that we're talking about morality. Um, and, but people, somebody paid for that. Like, like a generation laid down their life so that you and I can have a free speech uh, conversation. And this is, this is the way that fathers think. This is the way healthy fathers think. They don't. They don't just. They don't think nine to five. You know, seven days a week. They think, what? What am I leaving the next generation? What am I leaving? What? What? What will they say about me a hundred years from now? What is the effect of my life a hundred years from now? And I, I'll tell you, that conversation comes up four or five times a week in my in my circles and in my life. Yeah. Well, Pastor Chris, I would love to hear just from you. You know, this is obviously an, an ongoing conversation, and um, we've talked a little bit about solutions, yeah. but we know that this is a long game that we're playing. It so is. share a little bit about, uh, just before we go, share a little bit about what is next for you as you're kind of continuing on this mission of saying, I want to be a part of calling fathers back and actually seeing a fatherless generation um, shepherded and discipled and uh, and restored to a place where boys can be men? Well, we started an organization called Brave Co. out of this encounter that I had three and a half, four years ago that the book is written out of. And uh, Brave Co. is basically, uh, think kind of promise keepers, if, you, if you're old enough to remember promise keepers, but on steroids in that we have more technology now. So what promise keepers didn't have is they had no way to, you know, Disciple nations, can I say it that way? Because they didn't have platforms like we're like right now. What we're doing right now, they didn't have ways. They didn't have they didn't have the technology we have to, you know, have two thousand men on a live conversation, and and discipling, you know, and having, you know, fantastic fathers be able to pour into to sons who are you know on the other side of the world or in a different in a different state, and so. Um, this has really, really become profound. It's only a two-year-old organization, but it is growing amazingly and rapidly. We, we had, I think, 1,000 men, 900 men, I think, uh, graduate from our first uh, Brave Co. training that was 12 months long. So it was a big, like you say, it was a marathon. You know, It wasn't 
it wasn't like a six-week course. It, it took a big commitment to be there. And then those men now, many of those men are part of our team that are helping to mentor other men and, and boys. So I think that, you know, we're not, you, you know, there's no one person that's big enough to solve the problem, but together mm-hmm. we can be an inspiration to other movements, to other churches, to other men, to other organizations and say, you know, hey, you, you, you can't do everything, but you can do something. You can't yeah. touch everybody, but you can touch someone. And if everyone just does their part, you know, it's the Isaiah 58. If you take the homeless poor into your house, you, you make an effort to, you know, be, be an answer to someone. Sometimes uh, you probably feel this way. I do, too. I, when, you know, when I finished, uh, when I was writing this book, especially the first half, it's I wanted to be really clear on the problem. Like, here's what is it we're trying to solve? Mm-hmm. And then the second half uh, of the book is, you know, about lots about solutions. But first half of the book. You know, I finished that first half. It was overwhelming. Yeah. Like the problem is so freaking big. Like, what can I do? It's like, yeah. you know, it's like uh, I, I'm a drop in an ocean of this is huge problem. Yeah. But then I then I remembered God, and and I remember, mm-hmm. you know, I I grew up and I got saved in the Jesus movement, where, you know, the pe- the people that we wrote off, like these people will never love God. The hippies, the drug addicted hippies that were filling our nation. They just suddenly turned around, and in three years, the the there were so many baptisms that the only tank that would hold them was the ocean, and we saw a nation literally just turn on its heels over a very short period of time. And I'm like, we're in that Malachi moment now, and uh, and we can partner with that. And I, I I'm so excited. And 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 I just want to say, I said it in the beginning, but thank you so much for believing in in this message and in my message. And especially as, as a woman, um, that you, that you actually have me on your show and you're giving me the opportunity to share, I think, what, you know, the word of the Lord is, but what definitely is the message we're carrying. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we see the effects literally every single day in every sphere of society. What happens when you have a generation that is growing up without fathers in the home? And it's devastating. And um, so, Chris, we really thank you for your time. For everyone listening, be sure um, to check out Uprising, the epic battle for the most fatherless generation in history. And you can get the book um, on Chris's website, chrisvalentin.com. And Chris is spelled with a K, K-R-I-S, and Valentin, V-A-L-L-O-T-T-O-N. And we uh, also encourage you to check out Chris's podcast, the Chris Valentin Podcast, wherever you get your podcast. But Chris, thank you. We really appreciate you coming on today. Thank you, Virginia. God bless you. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for joining in today. We hope you enjoyed that conversation with Pastor Chris Valentin. Again, if you want to learn more, you can visit his website at chrisvalentin.com. If you haven't had the chance already, be sure to take just a moment to subscribe to the show. We love hearing your feedback. It really helps us get the word out to even more listeners. Also, be sure to check out our evening show right here in your podcast feed where we bring you the top news of the day. Have a wonderful Monday, and we'll see you right back here at 5 p.m. for our top news edition. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. Executive producers are Rob Bluey and Kate Trinko. Producers are Virginia Allen and Samantha Asheris. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. To learn more, please visit DailySignal.com.